If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. We have been journeying through this little book uh, in the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet. Uh, we spent five weeks. It's only three chapters. Today we land the plane, and wow, how does this plane land? It's absolutely amazing. And again, apropos for where we are today. So if you have your Bibles, Habakkuk chapter 3. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you, and the words will be on the screen as well. Okay, get ready. Here we go. Ready? It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Not bad. All right, we could have done better. It was pretty good uh, impromptu. So yesterday, Scott and I had the privilege of going to a memory care unit that my mother-in-law is a resident of. And like we do once a month, we go and we sing hymns. Uh, we go and I, I share a message. It's always interesting when you share a message for those in a memory care unit, knowing that they'll probably remember this for about a minute. And, uh, you know, and it's like, do I do the same message like I did last month? I mean, but, you know, I always want to bring God's word to them. It never comes back void. And although many of them, you could go, uh, and, and they may not recognize you, they'll tell you the same story over and over again. Uh, even loved ones may not recognize you. It's amazing the power of song. Because when we start singing, although we don't have a thing to project the words, or we don't have hymnals, especially during COVID, many of them start singing with us. And it's awesome. And you, you get to things like, it is well with my soul, and you start to look around. And, and yesterday, I saw tears come down the cheeks of, of some of the residents and, uh, you know, those who were singing. And we always sing, Jesus loves me. And I'm telling you, it just, it seems to always resonate with them of that deep truth. And isn't it amazing the power of song? Because even when the memory is waning, um, even when they don't necessarily even remember their loved ones, there's something about the lyrics that can come back. There's something about song that has that power. And it is well with my soul. Now, I don't know if you, everybody knows the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Is that correct? Well, let me tell you a little bit of background of that. Uh, this is, uh, I, I'm a junkie on devotionals. This is a devotional, Then Sings My Soul, and it takes 150 hymns, and it'll tell you the hymn, and it'll tell you a little bit about it. And if you'll indulge me, I thought about telling you the story. I'd really read it to you a little bit today. It's, it's quite short. But listen to uh, the, the story of the person. His name is Horatio Spafford. Uh, and he wrote uh, this tune, uh, this song, um, and this is what it says about him. When the great Chicago fire consumed the windy, windy city in 1871, Horatio G. Spafford, an attorney heavily invested in real estate, he lost a fortune. About that time, his only son at the time, age four, succumbed to scarlet fever. Horatio drowned his grief in work, pouring himself into rebuilding the city and assisting the 100,000 who had been left homeless. In November of 1873, he decided to take his wife and daughters to Europe. Horatio was close to D.L. Moody and Ira Sanka, and he wanted to visit their evangelistic meetings in England and then enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife Anna and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, on ahead. As he saw them settle into the cabin aboard the luxurious French liner Ville de Havre, H-A-V-R-E, an unease filled his mind. 
and he moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship. Then he said goodbye, promising to join them soon. During the small hours of November 22, 1873, as that ship glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship had collided with an iron sailing, sailing vessel, and water poured in like Niagara. The ship tilted dangerously. Screams, prayers, and oaths emerged into a night, uh, nightmare of unmeasured terror. Passengers clung to post, tumbled through darkness, and were swept by a powerful current of icy ocean. Loved ones fell from each other's grasp and disappeared in the foaming blackness. Within two hours, the mighty ship vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities, including Maggie, Tanita, Annie, and Bessie. Mrs. Spafford was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of wreckage. When the 47 survivors landed in Candiff, Wales, she cabled her husband, saved alone. Horatio immediately booked passage to join his wife. En route on a cold December night, the captain called him aside and said, I believe we are now passing over the place where the ship went down. Spafford went to his cabin but found it hard to sleep, and he said to himself, It is well. The will of God be done. He later wrote his famous hymn based on these words. Wow. It is well with my soul. Doesn't that have more meaning when you know the background of what was happening to this? I mean, so it was well with Habakkuk's soul, and how could it be? Now, let me give you a, just a little bit of background again. This is the last time together. For those of you who are just jumping into the journey, an incredible minor prophet in the Old Testament. And Habakkuk was a prophet for God, which means he spoke for God. He was a God that God, in, 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 a, in an incredible special way, used to speak, thus saith the Lord, those kind of things. But Habakkuk was different. And instead of speaking for God to the people, he spoke to God. And he spoke directly to God because he had some complaints that he was lodging with God. He lived in a time where uh, the most powerful uh, country, the most powerful nation at the time was Babylon. And Babylon was at the doorstep of his native land, his hometown. And they were about ready to invade, probably the way uh, that they felt in the Ukraine as they saw uh, all of Russia building up their troops before the invasion. You know that it's going to come. He was that way. But his hometown was more than just any hometown. It was God's country. It was God's promised land. And he sees this most powerful nation about ready to attack. And he, he writes this lament. He, he cries out to God. He had two main complaints to God. And you know what the amazing thing is? God answered him. He had two complaints. One was, God, where are you? And the second one was, God, how could you? The first one was, God, where are you? Because he's looking around at God's people and said, these people, I mean, they're acting like they don't even know God. They're acting like God doesn't love them. They're acting like they were their own gods. And he says, God, look what's happening. Your, your law, it's like paralyzed. No one's living. Your law, you gave us this great word. We're not living it. He says, justice is absolutely being perverted. I mean, it's what's going on here where there's no justice? And our leaders, they're, they're leading the crew into paganism where leaders are so corrupt. And God answered him, says, when he was saying, hey, God, where are you? He's like, hey, by the way, I'm doing something. I'm actually raising up the Babylonians. They're going to bring judgment to my people. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that fully, but that led to the second complaint. God, how could you? I mean, this is crazy. How could you, God? 
They're worse than we are. How can you use the Babylonians to bring judgment? How, how, you're a holy God. Your, your eyes are so pure. You can't even look at sin. How can you use them to do your bidding? Hit pause. Isn't God mysterious? I mean, isn't God, I mean, sometimes you just, how do you figure this one out? He's going to use Babylon to do his work? He will. But God's going to answer him. He's going to say, hey, write this down in stone, which kind of reminds us of the Ten Commandments. This is important. You want this to stay. Write this down in stone. He says, a time is coming, and I'm going to bring judgment on all people. I'm going to do it. It's going to start with the house of the Lord, but it's going to come to the wicked. And he says this in the midst of this. A time is coming, I promise, when all the earth will be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord. Again, hit pause. This is God's promise. This is God's will. And he says a time is coming, my friends, where the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord. Oh, Lord, hasten the day, right? I mean, oh, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are so broken. We are so needy. Oh, God, fill this earth with your glory. And he says, in the midst of all of this, he says something so profoundly important. It's such a truth of Scripture. You can't miss it. He says this, and by the way, the righteous shall live by faith. If you really, you really want to get this, it's not so much of what you do, although that's important. It's not so much of what you give. It's really about what you believe. And it's how you believe in me, believe in my promises, believe that I am going to make all things new. The righteous ones in my sight, they they walk by faith. They're declared righteous by their faith. So important. God says, I'm going to bring woe to the wicked, salvation to my people. So something amazing happens in Habakkuk's life. He goes from a complainer to a worshiper. He goes from complaining to praying to praising. And, And listen, his situation didn't change. It still was awful. And what he thought was going to come and wreak havoc upon God's people did come. And it did get black. And it was awful. Read through the book of Lamentations. It was awful. It was dark. And yet, at the same time, this one who one time complained will now rejoice. And he is going to rejoice in God amid the ruins. How? How do you worship God amid the ruins? Okay, on a good day... You know, when things are good, you got a promotion, your kid made the team, you got enough in the bank account, you got a new car. Praise Jesus, everything is good. But what about when you got nothing in the bank account, you know, when your job stinks, when you're, when you're going through difficult things, your marriage is strained, or, or you're not married, you're longing to be, or, you know, what, what, when, when life looks like it's in the midst of ruins, how can you still praise? Well, Habakkuk reminds us, the only way you ever praise is it's got to be well with your soul. So we're going to look at these things. For you to rejoice amid the ruins, some of you are in there now, some of you have been there recently, some of you will be heading in there, and we look at our world and say, wow, it seems like a lot of ruins right now. How do we worship? Well, it must be well with your soul. Uh, Firstly, you must rejoice in the person of the Lord. You must rejoice in the Lord personally. Uh, You must stand in high places, uh, and you must live by faith. So let's look to God's word, Habakkuk chapter 3. And really, we're just going to land the plane with these last few verses. We're going to pick back up the verse that we ended with last week in verse 16. But I'm going to start in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, to give a little bit more of a context of Habakkuk as he is in prayer and worshiping the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. 
O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Do I fear? Do I believe? In the midst of the years, revive it, uh, your report and your work. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And again, this is all part of a prayer and praise. And in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the incredible faith of our brother Habakkuk. Things were really, really bleak and dark for him, and they were only going to get darker. And what he feared of all of the failure, the, the crop failing, the fruit trees failing, there's nothing in the stalls that would all come to fruition in his lifetime. And yet, he would be able to say, yet I rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation in my strength. Oh God, who can do that? Only the one that, whose soul is, it's okay. It is well with his soul, but God may be well with ours. So God, would you teach us, would you show us, God, that we desperately need to understand your word for our lives today. God, speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us the ears to hear your voice. Give us the minds that understand your word. God, give us the hearts that would embrace your truth. And God, give us the feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. And God, if I mess it up and say things that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of the gospel. Use these things to help us to rejoice, to rejoice in you, and to celebrate that we are yours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. How in the world do you rejoice in the midst of the ruins? Well, it's got to be well with your soul, right? I mean, that's the only way you'll be ever able to rejoice in the midst of difficulty. It's got to be okay with your soul. And this is the reality we find ourselves with Habakkuk. Remember, it wasn't always okay with his soul. He looked at around him and he said, God, I'm complaining. What in the world are you doing? This is difficult. But as he realized who God is and as he trusted in God's promises, all of a sudden he says, I'm going to wait quietly. I'm going to wait quietly as the invaders are about to come. I mean, who does that? I mean, either you're delusional or you have incredible faith. And he had incredible faith. It was well with his soul. Katie and I uh, had the joy uh, this week uh, when your grandparents, you sneak in anytime you can with your grandkids. We had a couple of days with our grandkids this week. 
Uh, you probably know them. Yes, they are the cutest kids on the planet. And so we were up there with them. And they have three children uh, that are age three and under. Now, just think about that. Three, three, and under, right? Uh, they have twins that are one years old, a, a boy and a girl, fraternal twins. And do you know these little people? They are needy. Little people are noisy and needy. And, you know, they really are. And, and they can be a bit selfish. They want constant care. There's lots of fussing at times, even when KK and Pops are there. And there's nothing in the world that provides a child comfort like mom, right? It's just mom. I mean, it's just something about mom. I mean, so here's Jesse, our daughter, got three kids hanging all over him. It's like, it's like but we know mom, it's going to be a little bit okay with my soul. If not, uh-uh. It's, it reminds me of Psalm 131. It's a very short little psalm. It's only got a few verses, but listen to the words of Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So he's basically saying, God, I'm not worried about all the world life's problems right now. I know that there's, there's, there's the enemy at my doorstep. I know that I got bills that are due. I know that I got a job I don't like. I know that there's a lot of things in my life. I got kids I'm trying to raise. God, there's a lot of things I'm trying to figure out. But you know what? Right now, I'm not going to concern myself with all those things. He says this, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child who's been satisfied. A weaned child that knows that just sitting in his mom's presence is enough. Stops fussing. Uh, stops being so needy. Like a weaned child. Habakkuk became a weaned child. How are you? Well, you can tell by your fussing, your fuming, or your believing. Are you a weaned child when it comes to God? Do you trust his promises? Uh, Habakkuk had gotten there. He was now like a weaned child with his mother. He was safe. He was secure. He was provided for. He was at rest. It was well with his soul. Now, let me remind you, it was not well with his circumstances, and it was only going to get worse. What he feared was going to come to fruition, but by God's grace, it was well with his soul. Therefore, it was well with him. He was like that weaned child. So the only way you must, uh, you must be well with your soul if you're going to rejoice amid the ruins. The second thing is you must rejoice in the person of the Lord. Look again at verses 18 and 19. It's very much as I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm not going to rejoice in just his promises. I'm not going to rejoice in circumstances. I'm not going to rejoice in what I know. I'm not going to rejoice in what I have. I'm going to take all my rejoicing. I'm going to focus it, and it's going to be very personal. I will rejoice in the person of the Lord. I will rejoice in who he is. I will re rejoice in what he does. And no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what they are in the changing of my circumstances, here's the truth of the Lord. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, your circumstances, upside down, turning, moving around, life struggles, right? Here you say, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he is the same. He's not going to change. There's no shadow of turning with him. Yesterday, you could count on him. Today, you can count on him. Tomorrow, you can count on him. His promises are true. He will never change. He's not going to change his mind about you. He's not going to change the reality. He's in control. So focus on him. I will rejoice in the Lord. My circumstances might be lousy. 
but I'm going to focus on the personal Lord, and we know that that Lord for us is Jesus, our Savior. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Not good news. So we also know that the Lord is from everlasting. So focus on the Lord. You realize his qualities. He's from everlasting. Remember what we learned in Habakkuk chapter 1? In the midst of all this, Habakkuk was trying to wrap his brain about how can this happen? We got Babylon. They're going to come in. They're going to destroy. These are terrible, evil people. What is going on? So he takes his eyes off his circumstances. He puts them on the Lord. And he says this. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you're everlasting God. Guess what? You're everlasting. We shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for my reproof. He's basically saying this. Because God lives, he's from everlasting, we shall not die. Hmm. He connected those two. Because he lives, we live. Anybody want to sing? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Listen, because he lives. I hope your grandma sang it to you, like your mom, like I did. And just reminded, because the reality. Now here's, here's Habakkuk. He didn't, he didn't know when Jesus was coming. He didn't know the power of the resurrection. His hope was, we're not going to die because God is everlasting. Here's what we have, Christian. We know that what, what Jesus says in John 11, we shall not die. Even though we die, we shall live. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and he's the life. Death now becomes a passage home. I mean, talk about, you want to be able to rejoice in the midst of facing what you might face with cancer treatments, what you might face with the most difficult life situations? Reality is the Lord is of everlasting. Because he lives, you're going to live. And his promises are going to be true. That's who our God is. Because Jesus lives, we live. Then we've got to be reminded, and praise goes to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is in his holy temple. We've learned that in chapter 220. It reminds us that, that God is in, the holy, in his holy temple. What does this mean? God is in control. Does it feel like it? Does it feel like God is in control right now? Of the market of the worlds, of war. Where is a sovereign God, a good God, all-powerful God, all-knowing God? And look what the world is. There's a mystery to this. But I promise you, if God were not in control, don't, you don't want to know him, you don't want to love him, you don't want to serve him. If God is up in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with the Ukraine thing? If God is up in heaven, well, what are we gonna, how are we going to turn around the market? Have you seen the gas prices? I mean, if God is up there freaking out we are all toast, right? But God is in his holy heaven. God is in control. Jesus is Lord of lords. He's king of kings. He's got this. And he's got us. And he's from everlasting. And we got to walk by faith. It may, all we may see is chaos around us. All we may feel is chaos within us. But we need to remember who God is. We need to remember where God is. He's on the throne. He's in control. He's God. Not only that, we have to realize the Lord has ordained a plan. It says in verse, chapter 1, verse 12, 
that God has ordained that even the plan included that the Babylonians are going to bring judgment to the world. Whoa, God, how can that be a part of your plan? How can it be a part of your plan that a baby was born for the first time that's still on life support? How can it be your plan that someone else's baby's fine? How, how can it be your plan, God, that, that the world is so, how can this be a part of your plan? Well, we know that we're sinful people, and we know that God has allowed sin into the world. And because of sin entering the world, everything has been broken. You have never looked at anything that hasn't been affected by sin. Never. You can see the moon and say, man, it's phenomenal tonight. You can look at an ocean and say, man, it's so beautiful. A sunset, I've never seen it. Even creation groans. Everything is broken. I mean, there's disease, death, and famine all around us. It's the truth of the world we live in, and yet God has a plan that's unfolding. And we know that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. We know that he's coming again. We know that there's a perfect time that's set. And guess what's happening? It's unfolding. And man, is there mystery to that plan? Let me tell you, there's mystery. Embrace it. And there is. I can't always make it make sense, and I want it to make sense. I want the puzzle to make sense. And the only way it does is that we see Jesus. That's the only way it makes sense. But he has an ordained plan. The plan is unfolding, and guess what? God's plan ends marvelously well. It always does, because guess how it ends? We see him face to face. We're home, we're safe, we're free. No more sin, no more cancer, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. That's where we're heading. But on this side, it's going to be a wrestle. You must rejoice in the Lord personally. Personally. I love this. It says, he said the words, uh, in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. The word there, did you notice that it's capitalized? L-O-R-D. This means Yahweh. This is a special name that God gave to his people and just his people. The great I am. And he says when he gave the name, he gave a promise. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. This is going to be the way we can communicate with each other. You call me Yahweh. Call me the Lord. I am yours and you are mine. Psalm 18 if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 18. If you don't, listen to me. Uh, Psalm 18, by the way, read it this week. I mean, it's just so amazingly beautiful. But Psalm 18 says this. I'm going to read the first six verses. Listen to the word. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God. My rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confronted me, David writes in verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Did you hear the personal pronoun, my? He said it over ten times. I love you, Lord. Oh, Lord, because why? You are my strength. You are my God. You are my rock. You are my deliverer, my fortress. David had a personal relationship with the God who is. And the only way you'll be ever able to rejoice amidst the ruins, if you can say, my God, and I am his, 
Who has the audacity to do that? Only those by God's grace who in faith embrace Christ as Savior and say, I love you, Lord. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve it, but I love you, Lord, because why? Because you're mine and I am yours. It's so personal. Is it personal to you? It's the God of my salvation. Later in that psalm, Psalm 1846, the Lord liveth and blessed be the rock and may the God of my salvation be exalted. Did I sing it right? Listen to what it says. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. These songs that we sing, it came right from here. So David is being uh, chased by Saul. Enemy and death is all around him. He says, listen, but I know the Lord lives. And blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation. The God of my salvation. Hit pause. If you're his, he's got you. If you can say the God of my salvation, you're safe in the storm. It doesn't mean you're not, the storm's not going to mess you up and throw you and turn you and toss you. It might. But you're safe. This is the God of my salvation. It's the God of my strength. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, this, it's song after song. The hits come on coming. Wish I could sing them all. But God is my strength. I love this reality. Where do we look for our strength? Pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, most Americans will tell you. You know, look inside. Have that inner strength and fortitude. that You can do it. Buck up. Be strong. Be a man or a woman. And David's like, oh, God is my salvation. You know what? And he's my strength. I'm a weakling. I'm terrified. I'm needy. I'm the wimpy kid. Nah, that wasn't too much of David. But he would say, my strength comes from him. And he's the almighty one. God is my strength. And then if the reality is, if God is our Lord, and God is our salvation, and God is our strength. Now let me ask you this question. If God is for us, who could be against us? Right? I mean, if we got God on our side, what matters? I mean, and again, I'm not saying we we want to pursue the, the easy, good road. I get it. I do too. But think about that. If God is for you, if God is with you, if, if God is your salvation and your strength, if Jesus is your Lord, what else matters? This is what Paul was saying in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, he says, listen, I got some pedigree. Man, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, I'm a born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Pharisee when it comes to the law. When it comes to the law, I'm, I'm like righteous and spotless when it comes to the law, but that doesn't do any good. And he looks at all this, and he takes his resume, because I went to the right schools, I, I got the right jobs, I got the right respect, I did everything. And then he gets to the reality of this, and he says in Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, and the Greek there is dung. I mean, I, 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 this is a pile of dew over here in order that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's not about what I do, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. 
He's like, man, I got God. I got Jesus. I got forgiveness. I got eternal life. I got righteousness in Christ. I got God's righteousness. What all this stuff, man? This stuff's going to come and go. That's dung. I got Jesus. Not only that, he says, uh, for us to rejoice, you must stand in high places. He says, God makes our feet like the deers. Again, he quotes Psalm 18.33. Uh, how many times in Psalm 18 is this? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me on secure on the heights. Here's what, here's what he's saying. We are going to be secure to stand even if everything around us is rubble. If our life crumples, if all we can stand on is the broken pieces of our life, if we stand on Christ the solid rock, we will stand. Even in the midst of the ruins, stand on Christ. God makes us tread on high places, and that high place is victory. The last thing I'll say is this. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Here's Habakkuk. They're coming. It's going to get bad, but death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, with the victory in Christ, you live by faith. You walk by faith. We live by faith because we're declared righteous in God's sight by faith, like Abraham. Not because of what we do, not because of the church we join, not because of a sacrament we take. We are declared righteous in God's sight because of God's grace and faith in Christ. And now he says, now live your life by faith. Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Do you have peace? Are you able to rejoice amid the ruins? The question is, do you have Jesus? Is he on the throne of your life? Without him, no peace. With him, peace that passes understanding. With him, victory. With him, we can rejoice amidst the ruins. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the joy of journeying through this incredible small book in the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk. God, it's so apropos at a time like this that you have come near to us and you've allowed, you open up your word and we can see a prophet who complains, who becomes a prophet who worships. And God, may that be us. May we take our fears and our complaints to you and realize you're on the throne and you're good. And you got this and you got us. And when you turn our complaining into rejoicing, God, would you fill this earth with the knowledge and the glory of our great God? Would you bring peace? God, I pray for the one who it is not well with their soul. I pray for the one who does not have peace, maybe because of the circumstances around them or the circumstances within them. Oh, Lord, may your spirit lead them to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And may we have the faith like Paul who realizes no matter if we gain the whole world but lose our soul, what does it matter to us? All these things the world offers, they're like rubbish compared to just knowing Christ Jesus. Thank you for that privilege. May we all know him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.